Thank you for joining us here at Fellowship Church for today's message. Our desire is to encourage others to love God, love people, and impact the world. And we would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So take a moment and visit us online at fellowshipws.org. Find the Share Your Story button and tell us what God is doing in your life. While you are there, you'll also find useful information about our church and other resources that will bring you closer to Christ. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Would you look at somebody next to you? I know as a pastor, because I read the pastor statistics about church, so I'm fully aware that this makes people uncomfortable. Not only am I a pastor, but I'm also a semi-introvert. Actually, I'm what's called an ambivert. Um, I'm extroverted sometimes. I'm introverted most times. So I'm fully aware that what I'm about to ask you to do will make some of you uncomfortable because whenever I'm in church and someone asks me to do it, I hate it. <laughs> but then when I have the mic, I ask people to do it all the time. It's just you look at somebody next to you and would you just tell them this simply just say there's more <laughs> now because of the way that you said that I need to look at the other person <laughs> if you had said it really convincing that last time I wouldn't have made you do it twice but that was so unconvincing I want you to say this say hey I don't know what their problem was, but I just need you to know there's more. I was sitting in church. Um, let me do this before I forget, because I don't want to forget. This is too important, because I love these people. Um, I want to thank God for my friends, Tony and Tiffany Jones. Um, you know them as pastor. I know them as friend. And so I am grateful for you guys. I love you very much, and I think you know that. We've been standing in prayer with you all as a family, believing for his complete and total victory uh, and healing. So it's an honor to be with you. Um, I was sitting um, in service a week and a half ago. We had a event showcase for our young people and uh, they were ministering to the Lord showing their gifts and it was absolutely incredible and I'm sitting there as a basket case crying just thinking about all the different stories that were attached to them and they were telling testimonies and different things like that but I uh, also became a wreck because I'm sitting one row behind me on my right side was a woman who used to be paralyzed, um, but God healed her, 
uh, in one of our services. And so she walked to her seat and sat down. <laughs> and I'm just going to tell you that everywhere I go, I'm telling testimonies. Um, it, I, and I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But, but I, I have decided, because at first I almost got convinced, well, maybe I'm talking about it too much. And then I realized I'm not talking about it enough. Just not. Uh, and so uh, that happened. And, and then I looked over to my left, and I, I was sitting next to an entire family that I told you about last time I was here uh, that was healed of a brain-eating amoeba that should have taken all of them out. Uh, but the Lord healed them. And because of it, uh, the, the enemy had intended to roll seven caskets in our church during the middle of revival. But instead, he turned our mourning into dancing. In fact, it's not just a random story that I'm telling you. The family that God healed, the husband and the father, is traveling with me today, Pastor Jason McMullen. I just need you to know, this time last year, he should have been in mourning. And he should still be in mourning today thinking about what happened to his family. But instead, we are rejoicing because his entire family is still here. All of his kids are saved, love God, and they're getting ready to have another one. For those of you who did not hear that testimony, I won't retell the whole thing now for the sake of time, but I will tell you this. The healing that I'm referring to, to our knowledge, has never happened in the history of the United States without medicine until now. Yeah. Hallelujah. Then I um, looked over and I saw someone else who God healed, and I didn't get a chance to talk to them, but I had asked the Lord about them uh, a few days prior because they had been healed uh, in one of our services some time ago, and, and I hadn't seen that person for a while, but I didn't get a chance to talk to them, and I was just taking it all in. And then this past Sunday, um, between uh, our, our rivers, that's what we call our services, but between River 1 and River 2, um, I, I was going outside because they were celebrating my birthday and all that kind of stuff, and so I went outside to celebrate with people, and I was getting ready to come back in, and they, there was already a line forming for River 2, and so I, I, I walked past the first person standing in line, and I spoke. I said, hello, how are you doing? And she said, hey, you don't remember me, do you? <laughs> and I looked at it, and I said, oh, no, I remember you. You were the one that came in here in a wheelchair and got healed. Y'all talking to me like I just said, somebody gave me a Big Mac. <laughs> I just told you that somebody who, who was rolled in a wheelchair walked out. Uh-huh. thinking about the fact that I'm surrounded by evidence of God's power. It's overwhelming me. Can I just read to you what she put on Instagram? It, that way you can understand a little bit better. I need you, I need us to understand because I, I kind of almost feel like 
I kind of almost feel like um, um, whenever I tell these testimonies, for some people, they rejoice because they've been looking for it. Other people, there's a level of skepticism in the room. But I'm here for your faith. Because I, I need us to understand the kind of season that we are in. I want to read this to you. There's a bug right there. I just swatted it down. Just wonder what I'm doing. <laughs> she said this. She said, allow me to give you the full background of my story just so that you can understand the magnitude of this miracle. Now, understand that for us, we saw someone who was bound to a wheelchair get up and walk out. So we thought it was a significant miracle already until we heard the rest of the story. She said, I was, now some of these words, I don't know. I'm just going to tell you now, it's kind of like if you read through certain scriptures and you don't rehearse them. <laughs> you have to speak publicly and you're like, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with cervical spondylosis which means that my cervical spine between C2 and to C4 was collapsing and pressing into my central nervous system. This caused pain everywhere. I had osteoarthritis in the rest of my spine, causing bone spurs to develop. Also, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which caused bone spurs to develop in all my joints. These bone spurs would cut when I moved and it was excruciating. This pain was indescribable. From my jawbone down to my toes, every single joint was inflamed. I was using, I was losing the use of my hands and I could do nothing for myself. My joints began to lock and I lost most of the range of motion and much of my muscle memory. After 70 days in a nursing home and months of physical therapy, I still could not walk due to pain. She was bedridden for 134 days. Then she goes on to say, but that one day of being in the presence of the Lord at Deeper Fellowship changed my life. She said that chronic debilitating pain was conquered by the power of God in one instance and I never needed that wheelchair again to God be all the glory. It's so incredible. She was telling the testimony and she said, um, I had so much pain and then she said, but, but I don't actually remember it anymore. In an instant, in the presence of God, God took away all of her pain. She walked out of there, that wheelchair still at our church, but not at her house. something that you need to hold on to? Luke chapter 5 gives us this in indication. Kendall, you're going to need this for the, for the movements that are happening uh, in Revival Now movements because, because when, when people start hearing about stuff like that happening, they start coming, but they, some people come um, with faith and other people come with skepticism. And, and I need us to understand something because God wants to empower a generation. Yeah? 
So I need us to understand something. The Bible says that that Jesus. Uh, I, can, I, I just, I just, I want to read this verse to you because I don't want you to just take take my word for it. I want you to, I want you to see it. It's in Luke chapter five, and and the funny thing is, this isn't really my message yet. says in Luke chapter 5 verse 17 it says now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them this is uh, interesting Scripture. Let me just keep reading this and I'll go back to this. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and they let him down uh, with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, I love that, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of, God, Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. I brought this scripture up for this particular purpose. Jesus does not just heal in the presence of faith. I know that's messing with some of us because we think that Jesus needs a, a keyboard and some strings and some low lights and an atmosphere and that's one of the reasons why we don't pray for people at Walmart. Because we, we don't travel with music. Jesus doesn't, he, he, he doesn't just heal in the presence of faith. He also heals in the presence of skeptics. Because the Pharisees and the scribes were there, if you study it, they were there following Jesus because they wanted to trap him by getting him to say blasphemous things so they could kill him early. So he heals in the presence of faith and he heals in the presence of skeptics. That's why I love the fact the Bible says that the power of the Lord was present to heal. This is what I have discovered everywhere I go, including right now. The power of the Lord is present to heal now. <laughs> Let me tell you, he's... he's He's present. He's present to heal. He's present to heal. Um, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you another story. I, I have a friend. Actually, he's one of my spiritual sons. and God had been healing lupus in our church over and over and over again. And then the Lord had spoken a word through Pastor Jason, who carries a strong prophetic 
gift as well and, and mental and so God has spoken a word through him to our church that the Lord was going to continue to heal that particular sickness over and over and over again in our church to show that he was God because lupus has no cure and it was to show that God was going to continue to cure the incurable among us and so my friend, upon hearing this, and we had multiple testimonies of people healed of lupus. Now understand that the testimonies that we're receiving of people who are healed of lupus are actually doctor verified. Because you can't come up to the front, have hands laid on you, you fall out, you get back up and say, I'm healed of lupus. You can say that by faith, but the doctor has to verify it. Because there's no physical evidence. It's a blood thing. So, so we're having these people coming back with these reports that they're their lupus is gone and the doctor can't find it it's in you know all this kind of stuff and so these things are happening and so my friend he he brings his cousin and he he says um can you pray for her i said sure and and, and he says to me she has lupus and uh in addition to lupus she also had rheumatoid arthritis and so here she is sitting uh her hands all shriveled up and and unable to open and everything and so we start to pray and as I'm praying for her she's looking at me like what are you doing what's this gonna do and so I just decided at that moment I said um let me just ask you a question and this this question most of us wouldn't be bold enough to ask I just I just said hey do you have enough faith to believe that God can do this and then I said these words I just want to know because even if you don't he can respond to mine <laughs> See, I think many of us, many of us need to understand that the power of the Lord is present to heal and the power that we walk with, the authority that we walk with. And if we would understand the authority that we walk with, we'd stop being so fearful. Stop feeling like if there's not the right atmosphere and the right song and the right sunlight and the right whatever for you to pray. So I basically said, hey. Even if you don't believe, he can respond to my faith. And so she's just looking at me like, because he heals in the presence of faith and he heals in the presence of skeptics. And so here we are praying for a skeptic. What we were praying for was lupus. But what God began to do was unravel her hands. In the eyesight of everybody. And literally, people begin to see this woman who had shriveled up hands begin to come open like a flower. And God healed that woman. She had pain in her knees. She had pain in her hands. She walked out of there. But here's the thing. I said, I said, um, God did this to show you physically what he did internally. <laughs> and so she walked out of there. Can I tell you two months later after going to the doctor for her checkup, they couldn't find a lupus either. Because he heals in the presence of faith and he heals in the presence of skeptics. The power of the Lord is present to heal. Does anybody in this room believe that right now? If you do, would you lift up your hands in advance and give him glory for what he's getting ready to do in this room? So, Father, I ask you now, 
I ask you now to begin to touch bodies in this room. I pray, Father, that the healing power of the Lord will begin to move throughout this room by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I declare, be healed. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Lord, release your power now. We rebuke sickness. We command it to go. In the name of Jesus, we loose the healing power of God to begin to flow throughout bodies all over this room. And we thank you that tonight we will have evidence that you were among us. We thank you that tonight we will have evidence that the power of the Lord is present to heal. And so God, we thank you for it now. I declare in Jesus' name every condition of sickness be healed. Every condition of pain be healed in the name of Jesus. Somebody open up your mouth and give the Lord glory here. touch you let him touch you let him touch you let him touch you yes god of Christ in the United States of America and this body in this room is in a place of decision. There are three types of people 
in the body right now. Those who are aware of what God is doing, those who are becoming aware of what God is doing, and those who don't care what God is doing. I'm going to say it again. There are three types of people in the body right now. Those who are aware of what God is doing, those who are becoming aware of what God is doing, and those who don't care what he's doing. And every one of us is being invited by the Spirit of God through prophetic declaration and demonstration to decide where we are going to be. We are in a moment prophetically of decision. If I were to really dig deep into where we are prophetically, what you would also understand about where we are in this nation right now is that there is a line of demarcation being drawn between the true prophet and the false. I don't want to weigh too heavily into that right now, but what I do need you to understand is that the false prophet will not have what the Bible calls the signs of the apostles. So what the Lord is doing in this season via demonstration is he's actually marking those who are his. And the people are going to have to decide where they are going to be as it relates to what God is doing in the earth. I wrestled and the Lord has forced me to wrestle almost everywhere I minister outside of our house at this point and I wrestle up until the point that it's time for me to speak because clearly what the Lord wants to do in this season is make sure that I'm speaking what he's speaking by only talking to me when I get up here. <laughs> I need you to know that we are in a moment of decision. I also need you to know that this house is in a moment of decision. Whenever there is a corporate word, there is an individual responsibility to the corporate word. So I need you to understand that for the next few moments, I'm not talking to your neighbor. God's talking to you. Because ten, we tend to hear things prophetically and how it hits the lens or the filter of our experiences. We tend to think, man, I wish such and such was here to hear that. really wish I had invited such and such. They really need to hear this. But what is God saying to you? Because there are three types of people. Those who are aware of what God is doing. Those who are becoming aware of what God is doing. And those who don't care what he's doing. I, I just want to tell you that my assignment is to the first two. My assignment is to the first two. Matthew chapter 13, which is not a scripture I was going to go to. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Can you throw it up there on the screen for me? Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. God is in this room. Do you possibly have it maybe in a new King James or new living or something like that? Okay, there we go. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. That's those who are becoming aware. Let me read the next part. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. That's those who are aware. Let me go back to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. That's the kingdom. Those who are becoming aware, the first part of this parable that Jesus is talking about is actually talking about those who weren't initially looking for a treasure. They were in a field working for somebody else. They weren't actually in the field treasure mining. They were in the field working for someone else when they discovered. To discover means you weren't looking at it, it found you. When they discovered the treasure, they immediately hid the treasure in their excitement, sold everything they had to get enough money to buy the field. Now you would say, why is it that somebody who found a treasure would hide it? Why would they do that? Well, one of the reasons is because since he was a worker working for someone else, if he had yelled out at the time that he discovered the treasure, that he had the treasure, then the treasure would have belonged to the owner of the field. In other words, what he was saying is, I found something of such great value that I can't afford to let someone else take it from me. It, it's so valuable to me that what I'll actually do is I'll bury the treasure again. I will then say, listen, I need to buy this field. I, I need to actually sell everything I have to get enough money to buy the field so that I can possess the treasure. In other words, it's so valuable to me that I'll give up everything and I'll beg and I'll borrow and I'll do whatever I need to do because I have found something. In other words, something has found me. I'm so gripped by the encounter that I had that I'm going to change my entire life in order to possess the thing that I saw. In other words, it is possible for you to have an experience that so alters your life that everything about your life is now revolving around the encounter that you had. Is there anybody in the room who's ever had the kind of encounter with God that will literally cause you to change everything about your life and then people don't even know why you are the way you are. Why are you selling that? Why are you selling that? Why are you trying to gather all these things? Because I'm after something. I saw something and I'm after it. And because I'm after it, I can't let anything stop me. And anything else is a distraction. And I refuse to be distracted from this thing because I've got to buy this field because there's something there for me. This also lets us know that it is possible huh, to be in the same field next to somebody else who doesn't see what you see. It's possible to be in the same atmosphere. It's possible to be in the same church. It's possible to hear the same word. It's possible to be in the same worship, but you see a treasure and someone else doesn't care. question of decision is once you see it what are you willing to do 
to get it. Once you experience it, what are you willing to do to get it? And this is where a number of people in the body of Christ are. What God is beginning to do is he's beginning to show up in places that are unexpected. He's beginning to do things that you weren't even looking for. You go to a service thinking you're going to go home and watch TV. And then somebody gets up out of a wheelchair and God says, are you willing to buy this field? Because I did something to show you something. body is in this moment of decision and we are in a moment of decision when you see God do something what are you willing to do to get it what are you willing to do to live there what are you willing to do to possess it what are you willing to get rid of who are you willing to walk away from what conversations are you willing to stop having what things are you willing to turn down are you willing to turn down food are you willing to turn off your music are you willing to turn off your television are you willing to turn off instagram and facebook are you saying listen god you got a hold of me you got a hold of my attention and i'm willing to get rid of anything that would get in the way that would keep me from possessing the thing that has possessed me are people who are becoming aware they are they are people who are becoming aware God is God is doing something a lot of people are in this place this is not a bad place a lot of people are in this place because one of the the most interesting tensions that I'm living in right now uh, by, by observation is the fact that a lot of people are are actually crying out for God to do what he's already doing as if it's not here yet. That's where a lot of people find themselves. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this is a bad thing because ultimately what God is doing is he's saying, no, I got a treasure for you. I got something for you. The question is when you see it, are you going to pass by it or are you going to do everything you can to possess it? And that's where we are right now because this is the generation that is obsessed with the word revival. But the question is, are we willing to sell everything we have to possess it? We love saying we want a revival until it means that we have to fast. We love saying that we want a revival until it means that we'll go to church at 7 o'clock and leave at 3 o'clock in the morning. We we say we want it until we're tired. We say we... Until we find out the cost of something, many of us, we're like, I want it until we decide that it costs too much, which is why I love the second part of the parable. Because I find myself in this interesting observation, Kendall, Pastor Tony, I, I find myself in this interesting observation because for 20 years... I found myself praying for a move of God. For the last decade, I found myself writing songs uh, out of my own prayer life, out of my own prayer time, and then equipping the body of Christ to sing, to ask for a move of God. And over the last two and a half years of my life, I've been walking in it. The answers to prayer. And now I'm finding people who are talking about it as if it is in the distance. And I need us to understand that we are in an interesting season of overlap. And the question is, who are we going to follow? Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Then the next part of the scripture says this, verse 46. Verse 46. Verse 45, sorry. Again, 
the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. I love the fact that it says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout. He's on the lookout for choice pearls. Guess what he was? He was a pearl merchant. The first part of the parable was for those who weren't aware. But the second part was for those who were because the merchant of pearls on the lookout for a pearl of great price meant that he was aware that there was something greater. Somebody say, there's more. He was fully aware that there was something greater. And so because he was fully aware of something greater, he kept collecting pearls. He kept collecting pearls because he was on the lookout for a pearl of great value or a choice pearl. That's what he was on the lookout for. So verse 46 says that when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Now, I love this because what that means is that in order to possess the pearl of great value, he sold all the other pearls, which represents to us that he had been collecting experiences. He had been collecting moments with God. He had been collecting times with God. He could remember and recollect encounters that he had, and they were all good. But when he found something of great value, when he found what he was looking for, he was willing to sell all of his other experiences in order to possess the greater experience. And I want you to know that for those who are aware, we are in a season where everything that we've sensed over the last number of years, it's been good. It's been wonderful. We've enjoyed it. We've had a great time with God. But now that he's moving in the earth like this, what we're saying is, God, you can have all my other experiences. You can have all these other services. You can have all these other encounters because I'm not going to live my life by a past encounter. I'm going to live my life pursuing the present thing that you're doing. And this thing is so valuable to me that I don't need to talk about the past. I want to possess you now. Somebody say there's more. It doesn't matter how many good experiences you've had, there's more. It doesn't matter how many pearls you've collected, there's more. There's more. There are treasures in the field, there's more. There are pearls of great value, there is more. Somebody put it in the atmosphere and say there's more. comes to Mary announces to her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah announces to her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah she says how can this be it'll be done by the power of God God has favored you he's shown you the Holy Spirit comes and overshadows her places the seed of the Messiah in her womb and then in her excitement she says go to Elizabeth so she goes to Elizabeth and the Bible says that when they greet each other the baby on the inside of Elizabeth leaped there was this awareness that this baby that was six months ahead of the Messiah knew that my reason for living has just arrived and so now John the Baptist, who the Bible Jesus calls greatest prophet. John the Baptist 
one who is a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He is now baptizing people in the baptism of water, the baptism of repentance, and people are now uh, uh, repenting of their sins because he's declaring to them prophetically, repent because something's coming. Repent because something's coming. Repent because something's coming. Change your mind. Turn a different direction. Start living a different way because something's coming. And then he begins to prophetically declare, oh, by the way, if you think I'm great, if you think there's something to me, the one that's coming, I'm not even worthy to tie up his shoelaces. He's that great. He's that amazing. He's that awesome. He's that good. You're not even going to be thinking about me when you see him. In other words, what he's saying is repent because something's coming. What they did not know is that the something that was coming was already here. It just hadn't been revealed to the masses yet, but it was already in the earth. What I need you to know is the same thing. It's happening right now. God is releasing by his word. The prophets of God are beginning to declare across the globe and across this nation that we are getting ready to see a global revival, which is one of the reasons why we can't find ourselves saying it's coming in the near in the future, sometime 20 years from now. What I need you to understand is that he was only six months ahead of the move of God that was about to burst forth in the earth. In other words, God is literally proclaiming something that is coming that is already here. Somebody shout, there's more. <laughs> We're baptized in water to identify with Christ. Christ is baptized in water to identify with man. <laughs> because he didn't need to repent of anything, but because he was fully God and fully man at the same time, in order for him to baptize, to be connected with the human experience, he shows up and John says, behold, look, see the Lamb of God. John knew it. He saw it. I need you to understand what kind of people are coming. So John knew it. John saw it. He, Jesus shows up and John says, that's him. That's him. The thing I've been talking about, the one I've been talking about, the thing I've been believing for, the reason for my life, the reason why I was born, he's here. Jesus shows up. John says, listen, I'm not even worthy. Like, I, I how, how do you want me to baptize you? I'm not even worthy. Jesus says, permit it to be so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And so Jesus now goes down under the water, comes up out of the water, and there is a voice from heaven that begins to cry out, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on him like as a dove. And so now you have this incredible moment in the hearing of everybody. Some people heard God, other people heard thunder. As I've heard Bill Johnson say that the, the, the issue is never with God talking, it's about the hearer. God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Some people heard God, other people heard thunder. That's the exact thing that's happening on the earth right now. God is saying there is a revival coming. Some people are hearing God, other people are hearing thunder. <laughs> Somebody shout, there's more. Jesus comes up and he begins doing the work of God and the will of God. But people missed it. Do you know why they missed it? 
because what he was doing didn't fit into their context. It didn't fit into their box. You will not always be able to recognize what he's doing unless you have your eyes on him. I need you to get it. How do we know? Because Herod decided he wanted to kill John the Baptist, throws him in prison to behead him. And the same John who prophesied the coming of the Messiah, the same John who baptized Jesus, the same one who recognized who he was when he showed up at the Jordan, the same John who said, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoelaces, the same John who was standing there when the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, that same John is now sitting in prison and says, hey guys, can you do me a favor? Can you, can you go ask him for me? Are you the Messiah we've been looking for or should we look for another? After all he had seen and after all he had heard, he said, are you the Messiah that we've been looking for or should we look for another? Why would he ask that question, y'all? He would ask that question because what Jesus was doing was the opposite of what he thought the move of God would look like. Because Israel, up until that time, because of the oppression they had been under and the fact that they were under Roman rule at that time, believed that the Messiah coming would liberate them from physical or earthly oppression, not recognizing that the Messiah came to deliver them from spiritual oppression. And so as a result, the fact that the Messiah came and they were still under earthly oppression caused them to question whether or not it was the Messiah because what he was doing was the opposite of what they thought it would look like. This is one of the reasons why many of us don't recognize the move of God when it's happening because we have a preconceived notion of what God will and won't do and how he is and isn't moving. And so because John found himself in a prison, uh, he said, wait a minute, if you were the Messiah, I don't think I'd be in this prison. If you were the Messiah, I don't think I'd be under Roman oppression. If you were the Messiah, I don't think Herod would be able to kill me. I expected you to come with judgment and instead you're showing mercy. I don't get it. I expected you to judge the sinner and instead you're showing mercy to the sinner. You're healing the sick. You're hanging out with tax collectors. You're hanging out with immoral people and I just don't get it. How can this be the move of God? <laughs> so because it looked different than what they thought it would look like they didn't recognize it, but there was a people who understood that there's more. Somebody shouted again, say there's more. There's more. So they go to John. John's disciples come to Jesus. They ask him the question. Jesus' response to him is, huh, go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are cured, the lame walk, the gospel is being preached to the poor. And oh, by the way, tell John this, God blesses those who are not offended because of me. God blesses those who are not offended by what I'm doing, but embrace it. <laughs> it's quiet in here, Fellowship Church. <laughs> I'm on an assignment tonight. I'm on an assignment. I'm almost done, actually. <laughs> None of this is in my notes. <laughs> Jesus says, these words after this encounter. 
you would think that Jesus would be mad at them and say, what are you talking about? Tell John, are you kidding me? You're the baby that leaped into him. He didn't do that. He could have said, for real? John, weren't you there when it happened? But no, because Jesus is so merciful and gracious. He said, I want you to go back and encourage John. Tell him the move of God is happening. Go back and tell John the move of God is happening. John never got out of that prison, by the way. He died. But his spirit got up spiritual oppression because he knew he had completed his work. But then Jesus turns to those who are standing there and he says, from the time of John the Baptist until now, an acceleration. From the time John began preaching, is what the Bible says, until now, we hear this verse a lot. The kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. We hear that a lot and we're like, we think that that's our warfare cry. <laughs> we're like, the violent take it by force as if we got some billy clubs and torches. <laughs> Can I help you with an interpretation of that scripture? Please? Okay. Jesus turned to them and he said, from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom is forcefully advancing and the desperate are seizing it. That's what it means. Can I say it again? From the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom is forcefully advancing and the desperate are seizing it or pressing in on it. Let me explain. If you put a seed into the ground and you pour concrete on it, over it, how is it that in your driveway you go to bed at night and there's nothing there and then you wake up and there's a leaf, a blade that is the forceful advancement except the seed falling to the ground okay <laughs> there is the forceful advancement of the seeds that God has planted and so what happens is the Bible says that from the time John the Baptist began preaching what was John the Baptist preaching repent for the kingdom is at hand in other words if you will change your mind if you will change the way you live, you will have access to the kingdom. If you will change the way you live, you will have access to the kingdom. If you will change the way you live and turn in a different direction, everything that comes with the kingdom of God will be available to you. In other words, John the Baptist began preaching that you'll be able to access all the promises of God now by faith. And people who heard that news begin to press in on it and say wait a minute are you telling me that if I have faith in God I can be healed wait you're telling me that even if I've broken one of the 631 laws that are in the old covenant you're telling me that there's grace available by faith and you're telling me that there's a mercy that is available and you're telling me that I can have all that God you're telling me there's more you're telling me there's 
So the Bible says from the moment that John the Baptist began preaching until that moment that Jesus was talking, he was saying, listen, everything I'm doing is forcefully advancing the kingdom. And every time people get a hold of it, every time people see it, they say, I want it. I just wonder at Fellowship Church, is there anybody in this room who is seeing the power of God, who is seeing the move of God, and who is saying, I want it? I'm almost finished. Hallelujah. So then, how does God deal those who are in the question of decision because for those who are aware you've been collecting experiences in God he's saying I can't wait and this is what's happening in the body of Christ right now you have some people who have been waiting all their lives for this moment they've been waiting all their lives for this season some of you are being born at this time for this season but I can tell you I'm, I'm around some older folks they've been waiting all their life for a moment like this and they refuse to let it pass them by and guess what I've been waiting all my life for a moment like this and I refuse to let it pass me by because I didn't just stumble upon it I've been in the pearl business all my life all my songs those are pearls all my experiences those are pearls and right now I'm willing to give them all up to possess this Somebody shout this more. So then we find ourselves in this moment. You have those who are becoming aware. You have those who are aware. And I told you that there are some who don't care. Now, this is the interesting thing about this because while I told you that I'm talking to them, first two. God even cares about those who don't care. Can I define those who don't care? Because I'm not talking about the world. That's, that's the interesting thing. If I was talking about the world, then I wouldn't have to preach anything about those who don't care. We just continue to proclaim Christ until they become aware. But if we're going to talk about the church and we're going to talk about this decision place that we're in, if we're going to talk about even the decision place that, that some of us in this room are in here because God wants to do something so incredibly significant at Fellowship Church, it will blow your mind if you can get a glimpse of it. It would literally blow your mind. I'm serious. But see, one of the reasons why some of us don't respond is because God's getting ready to make you uncomfortable. Yeah, I just, I'm sorry to break the news to you, but, but if I tell you this, then when you get uncomfortable, you'll remember and you'll know where you'll say, oh, this is why. That's why the book of James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Father who freely gives without reproach. Well, wisdom for what? Wisdom for what you're going through. Wisdom for the season that you're in. When God puts you in a certain season, the Bible says that he will not rebuke you for asking him for wisdom as to why you are there. It's all right. I have to read the scripture to you because once I read this scripture, this will be the final thing and I'll sit down. We'll see what else the Lord does, but it's 1030 at night on Friday. 
I wish you hadn't told us the time. I got to go. Are you, you good? <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you this, but we're so anxious to get out of church and get home. Do you know that witches operate after you sleep? Because they find the least resistance that way. But we're so quick to get out of the presence of God and get back home to whatever it is that we're doing. But <laughs> Is this too heavy for y'all? Because okay. I'm so away from my notes right now. <laughs> So you're still here. So can I define what don't care actually means? Those who have made peace with disappointment. Those who are becoming aware are those who have discovered a treasure when they weren't looking for it. Those who are aware are those who are in the pearl business looking for it. Those who don't care are those who have made peace with disappointment. You, you have heard or you have been awakened to the reality of a move of God, but because it didn't come in your timing or what you thought it would look like, you stopped crying out for it. And when you stop crying out for the thing that God desires for you to have, you fall into the category of don't care. So then... You're, you, you, you don't even recognize it, but you're the ones who actually hold your praise ransom. So whenever you hear a testimony, it should awaken something. But for you, you're just kind of like, I don't know if that can happen to me because the last time I believed, it didn't happen the way that I thought it would happen. And I came in here and they said people were going to be healed, but I still left with that pain and I still left with that lamp. And I was believing for my mama and my grandmama and they still died. And so now I'm coming to church because I don't want to offend God or anybody else. But to be honest, I just don't care anymore because I made peace with disappointment. God is after you too tonight because God wants to awaken something in you. When things don't happen in your time, when things don't happen the way you want them to happen, when things don't, but don't, don't, you, you, you are hurt and you cry. But I want you to understand that just because it hurts doesn't mean you're ready for change. And just because you cry doesn't mean you're ready for change. Can I read you a story and then after this story we can go home? Yeah? First Samuel. First Samuel. First Samuel. Chapter 1. First Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 18 verses of First Samuel chapter 1 so that way you can get the context of the entire story. If you can put it up there, New Living Translation, that would be good. 
Bible says there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, son of Zeph of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Somebody say that with me. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, I then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he's been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Somebody say, misunderstood. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. Somebody say, those who misunderstand me, might even be used by God to bless me. <laughs> okay, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. Let me talk to those who don't care. The Bible says that Elkanah had two wives. Now the significance of this is, is, is very significant because if you study the life of Elkanah, what you'll discover is that Elkanah wasn't just a man, he was a priest. And so because Elkanah was a priest, his relationship with God should have dictated the fact that if he was married to Hannah and the Lord had closed her womb, that it was only the Lord that could open her womb. And so he should have actually prayed and believed God to open up her womb. But somewhere along the line, he and Hannah, the wife who he loved, had decided that he was going to marry Peninnah because he wanted to try his own way in order to get a blessing from God instead of waiting on God for himself. That'll preach. <laughs> and so here he marries Peninnah. 
Peninnah has children. Hannah has no children. And so the Bible says that even though he loved Hannah, Peninnah would taunt Hannah. And the Bible says that she would taunt her because she had children and Hannah did not have children. And the Bible says that Hannah would be reduced to tears and it was this way year after year. In order for Hannah to agree to allow her husband to marry another woman and have children with her instead of believing God with her must have meant that at some point she had made peace with disappointment. At some point, she had decided, I guess God just doesn't want to bless me. At some point, she had decided, I guess God just doesn't want to heal me. At some point, she decided, I guess I'm going to be in this wheelchair all my life. At some point, she had decided that I have to accept the doctor's report. At some point, she had decided that this limp or this pain is all I have. At some point, she made peace with disappointment. So she stopped caring. Because that's the only way you can allow your husband to be intimate with somebody else and it not hurt. You have to stop caring. So here she is. She doesn't care anymore. And so because she doesn't care anymore, God had to do something. Can I suggest to you that God is the one who caused Penina to taunt Hannah. Some of you think that the thing that is happening in your life that is bugging you is the devil. Can I just tell you that it's not the devil for most of you. God is allowing that thing to speak to you so that you will wake up out of your disappointment and believe again. after year it was the same in other words what God was saying was wake up Hannah wake up Hannah wake up Hannah believe again believe again believe he had to literally frustrate her and the Bible says that year after year it was the same and she would be reduced to tears which is why I told you that just because it hurts doesn't mean you're ready for change just because they're making fun of you doesn't mean you're ready for change just because you're crying doesn't mean you're ready for change just because you want attention doesn't mean you're ready for change because year after year it was the same until she got up from that table and prayed and I need you to understand that for many in the body of Christ right now who have found themselves in a place where they have made peace with disappointment God is disrupting your comfort in order to bring you to a place of prayer because there's something that God wants to birth in the earth and he needs a group of people who are so bothered by what they see that they won't stay silent but they'll open up their mouth and cry out to God again Somebody shout, there's more. <laughs> Hannah gets up. Something awakens in her. Something had finally bothered her so much to the point where she finally said, I've got to do something about it. I've got to talk to God because these tears aren't enough. My anguish is not enough. My pain is not enough. Just being frustrated is not enough. Being angry is not enough. Being obstinate is not enough. Being mad at God is not enough. It's not until you pray. 
gets up to pray. And this is a decision of everybody in the body of Christ. Are you ready? When she gets up to pray, Elkanah says to her, why are you like this? Why are you so bothered? Why are you so downhearted? What is bugging you to the point where you have no peace anymore? Um, and then he, he says these words. Are you ready? He says, he says, why are you upset about this? You have me. Then he says this, aren't I better than 10 sons? In other words, this is the thing that is anti-revival that is facing the church right now. Elkanah represents anything that comes in your life when you are awakened to more that says be satisfied with what you used to have. I need you to hear me. Elkanah represents anything and everything in your life that says be satisfied when God awakens you to more. And there has to become a people who says, I'm sorry. I know I used to love this thing and I know it was a blessing to me before and I know that I used to tell everyone else about the blessing and I was happy being married to you but I've been awakened to the fact that there's more and I can't be satisfied with Elkanah. No. I'm not satisfied with you. No, I'm not satisfied with 10 minutes of worship, a 25-minute word, and then I go home. Elkanah, I'm not satisfied with you. You're not better than 10 sons. When God awakens you to more, what you had will never be good enough. When God awakens you to more, the thing that used to make you satisfied will no longer satisfy you. When God awakens you to more. She says, no, I'm not satisfied with Elkanah. <laughs> you were a blessing. But God has awakened me to something. And can I tell you why God is doing that to you. Are you ready for this? Hannah wanted a son. God wanted a prophet. So he could not afford for Hannah to be quiet because in her quietness, she would quench the thing that God wanted to send in the earth. This is why God can't afford to have a group of people in his church that don't care. He can't afford to have a group of people in his church who have made peace with disappointment because you who have stopped trying, God wants to birth something through you. You who have stopped believing, God wants to birth something through you. It's not just a son, it's a prophetic movement. I'm telling you, those of you who have been disappointed, God's about to put a seed in you that's about to change the nations of the earth. Came to awaken and give prophetic context to those of you who have found yourself in a season where you have made peace with disappointment. I want you to know that God is putting the circumstances of the earth in place right now in order to awaken those who have been sleeping. He's putting the circumstances in the earth and in your life in order to awaken belief in you again. And he's doing the same thing to every generation on the earth and he's doing it to his church. He's sending some pen in a tight pain.
when that thing begins to taunt you, see, we plan our church. We have a move of God happening in our church. I mean, a legitimate, bona fide move of God happening in our church. And you know what the other churches do? They say, y'all ain't done yet. They make fun of our members. They don't invite them to lunch because they won't show up till dinner. And at some point, that can bother you. Or you can say, you know what? There's a Samuel in me. And so you'd be happy with the sons you have. The one God's putting in me. The thing God's put in me is about to change nations. And so make fun of me for not making a dinner if you want to. Make fun of worship going for an hour and a half. Make fun of us preaching for an hour and a half. Make fun of us being there. But you are going to listen to Samuel when he comes out. And for every, every person that finally gets awakened to the fact that God put something in your life to awaken a cry in you, when you start to go cry, here comes Elkanah. At the moment that you start to say, you know what? I think I'll believe God again. You know what? I'm going to get up. I'm going to try it again. You know what? I'm going to pray for healing one more time. You know what? I'm going to believe God for breakthrough one more time. I know it didn't happen all those other times. I know. And I have made peace with disappointment. And I know. But you know what? I'm going to get up and try again. And I need you to know by the Spirit of the Lord that the moment that you do, there's going to come something or someone that says, why are you doing that? Why are you like that? You should be happy with where you are. Everything's good where you are. You should be satisfied. Aren't I better than the future? No, you are not better than the future. No, you are not better than the thing God has shown me. And so I need to say, get out of my way. I've got to get into the presence of God. I've got to lift up my voice. And even if I do it, this is where it's about to help you. This is about to help some of you in this room. Because I know this this happens everywhere. I'm about to sit down after this. This happens everywhere. What happens is you get awakened to the thing God has for you. Elkanah comes and tells you, be satisfied, don't go after the more. But once you decide to do it and you enter into the presence of God, sometimes even there you're running to somebody who doesn't understand your cry. They don't understand why you are the way you are, why you're so loud, why you're crying, why you're doing this, why you're doing that. And I came to talk to and awaken those of you who have been misunderstood and they say, cry out to God. Open up your mouth, begin to cry out to God again because even the ones who don't understand you will start praying with you and the very thing that speak over your life might be the very thing God uses to release a blessing in your womb that changes the nation. I came to say, wake up there's more I don't know about you but if you're in this room you say God I want more open up your mouth right now come on if you're saying I want the more of God open up your mouth in this room you're saying I want the more of God push past Elkanah push past the pain believe God again we are on the precipice of a global revival and for those who are aware of it for those who are becoming aware and even for those who don't care it's still for you
Come on, this is your moment right here to open up your mouth. This is your moment. This is your moment to open up your mouth. This is your moment right here. This is your moment. Don't worry about being misunderstood. Don't think you're doing too much. Remember, David sacrificed the bull every six steps. There's nothing that you can do. That's too much right here. Where are those who are so hungry for a move of God? Don't leave your pastor at the altar alone. Where are those who are so hungry for a move of God? You want them to open up your mouth and cry out to God. Come on, do it. Come on, do it all over this room. Do it all over this room. Yes, God. We're the ones deciding. We're in the valley of decision here. We're deciding what we're going to be. Yes, we're deciding what we're going to be. Are you going to be barren or are you going to give birth to Samuel? Are you going to be barren or are you going to give birth to Samuel? Where are those who want to give birth to the move of God? satisfied with Elkanah. There's more, 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 there's more. I'm not satisfied. There's more, there's more, there's more. I've been made aware of it now. And now that I've been made aware of it, now that I've been awakened to it, I'm after it. I'm after it. I won't let anything stop me. I'm after a move of God. I'm after what he's doing in the earth. It's not coming in the, in the late future. It's already here now. And I want to end on it. I want to be a part of it. I want to see it happen in the earth in my lifetime. I want to see it happen in my church this year. I want to see it happen in my life today. after more. There's a generation after more. There's a generation after more. There is a generation after more.
have to decide who we're going to be. Who are we going to be? Come on. Open up your mouth here. Just give him another 60 seconds. Come on. Open up your mouth and give him another 60 seconds. Let's decide where our hunger is going to be.
Thank you for tuning in today with Fellowship Church. We pray that you were blessed by the message, and we would like to connect with you through our website, fellowshipws.org, or facebook.com slash fellowship. If you are ever in the greater triad area, we would love for you to be our VIP for weekend worship experience on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. On behalf of Pastor Tony and the Fellowship family, thank you again for joining us. And remember to love God, love people, and impact the world.